Good morning, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Culture Shop Podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and today is part one of a two-parter special of sorts. My guest today is Michael A. Simon, who is the producer of a podcast premiering soon that I'm very excited about called The Occult Unveiled, hosted by none other than friend of the show, Ashley Ryan, a.k.a. Pythian Priestess. What I enjoyed so much about my conversation with Michael was that he, like myself, comes from a filmmaking background. Having been inspired at an early age by Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and following that trajectory to hosting and running the local college radio at George Washington University, Michael has produced and directed such works for VH1, such as VH1 Storytellers, which is actually a personal favorite of mine, as well as New Visions. The intersection between music uh, and audio and television is something that Michael has excelled at, and he's parlaying those experiences into this new endeavor, The Occult Unveiled with Ashley Ryan, and a podcasting station in uh, as a whole with his new production company, F Street Productions. I really appreciated the back-and-forth dialogue with Michael because so much of this was not just talking about the occult unveiled and the philosophy behind it and what we can come to expect, but also his questions as someone who's not particularly a practitioner of esoteric spirituality. His questions uh, for someone who's forging new territory in this podcasting arena, as well as my own questions and my own and the answers to my own questions, as well as the answers to my own questions as to his motivations and what we can expect in the future. And these back and forth conversations are so important to me because if I'm simply just interviewing folks and reading off questions, that's fine, but it leaves much to be desired. But when we have this organic volleying of ideas and questions and and even challenges at times that is when the true magic of a conversation can be extracted and can be broadcast for other folks to potentially find some benefit out of it and to be inspired from it and to maybe be encouraged to start their own podcast or their own film and television uh, endeavors or artistic um, expressions whatever they may be I was flattered that Michael took the time to check out some of the other things I do beyond the podcast, which we briefly touch on. But mostly I just enjoyed the fact that it was a it felt very natural to talk with him uh, and to share and to be shared with some of our mutual ideas on how and why this growth in occultism or esoteric spirituality or alternative spirituality or whatever you want to call it. It's a very broad umbrella term, but it's growth. And that exploration, I think, is going to be very fascinating for you all to listen to. So I want to thank Michael once again for coming on the show and being so forthright. I want to thank him for um, giving us some insights for the new show, The Occult Unveiled, hosted by Ashley Ryan, a.k.a. Pythian Priestess, premiering March 1st. I hope that you all show the same support for that show as you have shared for this one. I want to thank you all for the support over the last year plus for this podcast. It's Again, I've said it many times, but without you all, I wouldn't do this. So thank you very much for your support. Thank you to, uh, I'm very excited for the Occult Unveiled to be released. And so without further ado, my guest today, producer of the Occult Unveiled with Ashley Ryan, Michael A. Simon. First and foremost, welcome to the Culture Shock Podcast. How are you doing today, Michael? Thank you. I'm doing well. Doing well. So for those who might not know, you are the producer of the upcoming Occult Unveiled, uh, starring Pythian Priestess as host. What was your connection with her, and how did this project come about? 
Yeah, so it's a bit of a, a windy road. Um, so technically, Ashley Ryan is hosting the Occult Unveiled. Ah. Um, her and Pythian Priestess are the same body, the same vessel, but I th- where one ends and the other begins, I think it's best for them to describe. But um, <laughs> Ashley, um, I hired as my development. I'm a producer, a director-producer uh, in Hollywood, and I hired her uh, in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, as my development uh, assistant and um, didn't even know, you know, sort of didn't know that I sort of, I didn't know about this uh, other part of esoteric practices. Uh, we became um, very close, came, came like family to me, not just in, not just for work. Uh, we actually, uh, a film I have, which she uh, is a producer on. So a lot of connections. Uh, mm-hmm. She worked with me on my, uh, on my uh, shows I direct. And, um, the pandemic hit and she started telling me about, um, about Pythion mm-hmm. and, uh, this TikTok channel. Um, I've caught up to TikTok a little, I'm a bit out of the demographic of the typical, uh, TikTok. Uh, I can relate. <laughs> you can, but you know, so, uh, but I think now at this point I'm, I'm so old that I'm kind of hip again. Um, and it's sort of like we, had, we had danced around like doing some, project based on this character and based on her interest and knowledge. Um, and it sort of came into fruition unwittingly through uh, of the making of a podcast company. And the, and I'm, I maybe the podcast company happened because um, my partner, a guy named Scott Kushner, who I went to college with, uh, George Washington University, um, he and I started talking about four years ago, and there was a project he brought to me based on the life of a actual bass player for a lot of classic rock acts named Chasm Sultan, okay. uh, who had a very interesting life. We started developing a comedy to bring out as a regular scripted comedy. The pandemic hit, and, we, and Scott thought, let's do this as a podcast. It looked great, like an old you know, radio play, a scripted. Yeah, that would be right. fun. And then when we were doing that, we sort of like occurred to me, we're learning a little about podcast, just mm-hmm. enough to be dangerous. So I said, <laughs> Scott, you should really meet, well, he's met Ashley, but we should do something with her. Yeah. So we approached Ashley and said, you know, would you be interested? And she was. And so that's the kind of the, the, uh, the path. And then it just kind of, you know, got into this situation where we were three heads bringing something different to the creation of this, but this is really... Ashley's and Pythion's vision. And it's, That's, it's an odd word using for, to describe a podcast. But, but I understand that because um, as someone who also works in Hollywood, so much of what defines our understanding, the global understanding of the occult or esoteric practices is sort of through the filter of Hollywood. It's movies like The Craft. It's movies like Rosemary's Baby. Um, even more contemporary American horror story. I even know folks who legitimately have conflated things that they saw in American horror story with actual traditional witchcraft. This is just the nature of, of these spiritual practices. They're viewed at, like in the vein of, you know, B horror movies. And so I do feel like based on what I've seen of what the show is going to be and, and sort of the angle behind it, that there is a vision behind this. This is something pretty unique to present these esoteric beliefs and 
folks who have been doing this for decades and their own personal stories within the world of a cult, presenting it as, for lack of a better term, legitimate. And um, may, dare I even say, mainstream, acceptable, and removing some of the stigma that's attached to those practices. Yeah, I I think, look, I think very much so. Look, I didn't come into this with much of a knowledge base on this. Mm -hmm. I knew horror movies and, you know, uh, of the like. And, you know, they were, um, I guess, pretty agnostic when it comes to a lot of things. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I was come from a family of scientists. So this was all... This was all interesting to me, but uh, but what Ashley was really impressed upon us, and, and which I agree is that this can't, this isn't going to be non-judgmental. So you know, this isn't proselytizing. This isn't on skepticism. This is right down the middle. You know, a- accepted. And what it was so exciting for me working on this is getting to know these people and how smart they are, mm-hmm. and and how. Um, in a good way, intellectual. I know we've done a lot to uh, knock down, you know, people who think and into intellectualism has taken a a, a tough uh, road in the last <laughs> bunch of years. But the guests we had on the conversation, I think, were entertaining because we wanted to make it entertaining. You know, right. I come from entertaining, mostly doing entertaining shows, but also really in intelligent and letting people tell their stories. And I think, you know, one of the things this sort of came to my mind is there was a, um, a show, I want to say Netflix called um, mind of a chef. I think it was okay. done by Bourdain's uh, company. Mm-hmm. And it was taking a, maybe a, a one is two star Michelin chef, you know, the best chefs in the world restaurants right. where 99.999% of people are never going to eat at because they can't afford it, can't get to it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the story of these, of, of, of how they made for Gua. It was growing up in a, in, in a, you know, uh, a slum of Rio de Janeiro and moving to Madrid and joining a punk band and boom, 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 and getting into a kitchen and learning their craft. And then, and I kind of was like, let's, let's help tell these people's stories because their stories are so interesting. Right. How they grew up, when they, made self-discoveries when they followed a certain path, when their path deviated and then making the subject, I feel it, it it's much more, it's much more comfortable. It's not like, Ooh, someone's going to bite off the head of a pigeon and drink blood, <laughs> you know, which I'm sure yeah. to your listeners is, is like not even a tropism, but I think part of getting the mainstream is to understand it's not that, you sure. know? So, well, and listen, I was raised Catholic and when I was uh, hitting adolescence and I started playing punk rock bands and, and the like, you know, mom would throw holy water on me because she was convinced I was going to hell. And she, maybe she still is. I'm sure she still lights a candle for me. Um, but when you start to hear folks' stories and, and how they came to hold the beliefs that they hold, um, whether or not it is something that you subscribe to after listening or not, I think that there's definitely a, a common ground that can be reached, an understanding that can be reached. I know folks who meditate religiously, and it works great for them. And I know other people who just can't get their head around it. Um, but they because but it come, becomes acceptable that it's a practice that ha- holds benefit, even if maybe some of the uh, higher vibrational conversation misses most people the effectiveness may or may not appeal to folks to try. 
Hey, I, I just just something I just want to ask you something about. Um, you just said so. So many of our first season guests, and maybe this just was a coincidence, are Catholic. Well, raised Catholic, and mm-hmm. you just raised. What What is about Catholicism as a you know, as a lax Jew, I'm trying to figure out what is about Catholicism, which, which you think. Gets- well, yeah, I get, I think I, I have a pretty firm answer and, and it's not one I would have had until I started practicing ceremonial magic, which is the kind of magic that I, I practice. Um, and, and frankly, even, I mean, a lot of, this is an oversimplification, but you can kind of divide magic along two lines, low and high. Um, and that's not a caste system. That's just a, there's natural magic, which is very um, of the earth based, which is generally which witchcraft kind of falls under. And then there's ceremonial magic, which I would align more closely to a Catholicism, um, Jewish mysticism, uh, things of that nature. And so when you, again, you don't realize it at the time. And so much of the magic is stripped out of Catholicism. But if you think about going to mass, um, you have, gentlemen mostly i guess in catholicism it's all gentlemen in funny robes uh with staffs or wands uh you're you're literally uh eating a a piece of unleavened toast uh that is meant to symbolize the uh, the flesh of a deity uh you drink wine that's meant to symbolize the blood of a deity um much of even the the incense that are used much of what happens in a catholic mass is essentially ceremonial magic. It's Christian magic. And uh, there are a lot of scholars who would argue that that Christianity or the or the, the historical Jesus and any followers he may have had at that time weren't in fact looking to start a new religion, but in fact were just sharing this sort of lineage of mysticism that had existed through uh, Jewish tribes over the years. Um, and then you know, cult of personalities being what they do be and, and the Roman uh, empire getting involved and it transforms into something else. And more and more over the years, it loses that connection to magic. In fact, just in the last few years, or maybe even this last year, they got rid of a uh, Latin mass. They don't do Latin mass anymore. It's just mm-hmm. sort of a bad thing. But when you trace its origins back, I think it's easy for folks like me who were raised Catholic, who got, who, who were raised accustomed to that ceremonial aesthetic and perspective to religion. And then for one reason or another experience the, the hypocrisy or the bigotry that sometimes oftentimes exists within mainstream religion, they leave it. They go venture out into the world to see what it has to offer that maybe will provide some internal substance. They don't find it there either. And then we, we go back, but maybe not quite to the old Catholicism that we came from, although some do. Um, we may go look into older practices or things that are familiar enough to us, but offer a different perspective on the goals. You know, with Catholicism, you're really you're trying to kneel before God so that you're you get to go to heaven. And you're a sinner, and that's kind of like the main emphasis. That's the the vantage point by which the entire religion is sort of uh, viewed from. Whereas with ceremonial magic, it's quite the opposite. The entire intent is to liberate oneself. It's to gain sovereignty over oneself. It's uh, it's fairly gnostic, but one would claim that when Jesus came, you know, the historical Jesus existed, that he wasn't proclaiming himself a, a king in the traditional sense, but 
a king from the perspective of a person who had total sovereignty over themselves and was under the rule of no government or no statute or cultural norms. So I think that there is a a familiar tapestry of culture that that people at a certain point will gravitate back towards, albeit a little off the beaten path. Yeah, but but I think within that and what you were saying, I think from when you don't know how deep down this rabbit hole we want to get, but you know when thinking apes because of they started thinking these things, you needed mm-hmm. to belong, you needed yeah. to practice ritual, and I. It's interesting. I think with this, with um, with this, the cult unveiled. One of the things which I think it's going to open people up to all kinds of rituals and religion and meditation because it all there was it was a strand which ran through a lot of the guests and a lot of the conversation, and it it's and even you know squaring it with science, mm-hmm. which is which is a fascinating I think conversation. So yeah, I, I'm I'm happy we can put our drop into that ocean of dialogue, you know, intelligent, yeah. non-judgmental, honest, and open dialogue, and really look at because you know, uh, w- let's fa- I mean, if there was ever a time I've been alive that people are in desperate need to yeah. belong and open their minds, it's now. What well, I think, yeah, I absolutely. I think one of the things that we see more and more over the years is the sort of dissolution of institutions that we could belong to outside of high school and college. Yeah. You know, the, the, the social clubs, the block parties, the, the social gatherings, even congregations have mostly been reverse, uh, replaced by the workforce. The workforce is kind of where we're supposed to meet friends and have community. Yeah. And as a filmmaker yourself, I'm sure you know that that's, oftentimes not possible, especially when you get to positions that you and I hold, it's like, I, I can't fraternize with the crew. They're not my friends. I, you know, and so. No, it, you, you don't, but don't you feel, I mean, I feel very close to the people I work with. I like, try. I did you keep that big wall? It's interesting because I'm, uh, I have to be careful here. My job's director. There is a big wall obviously. And, and the wall is getting thicker. Um, and what, but I, I feel so spirit. I very close to certain people. Um, you know, I've worked with over the years. Mm-hmm. It's just really. It's like uh, you know, um, on the show uh, with um, a couple of the stage managers and you know the AD going to an outdoor place and having a beer afterwards. You know, just felt mm-hmm. so nice. Well, it's, you know, one so of the curious when you say you put up like kind of. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's a tricky thing because I'm a line producer. So people, they, they, they have expectations on you when you walk on set. Right. So, so like one of the things I try not to do is be on set too much because usually when the line producer comes to set, it's never a good thing. Means I'm going over budget. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes that is why I go to set. Sometimes I just like to check in and see how things are going. But, um, I have formed really close bonds with folks over the years through my work in film. Uh, But oftentimes that comes with the repetition of working with one another. Like there are certain ADs that there's like the guy who trained me up. In fact, we've done, I think like 21 films together. And I started as his PA, then his second AD and his coordinator. And then at a certain point I was line producing and executive producing. And he was working as like my 
you know, line producer or production executive or whatever it may be. And we've sort of found a, a balancing act between sort of what position one takes. And over time, we went from a very professional relationship to a friendship. Um, and I, I have that with ADs. I have that with uh, different department heads. But I, it, it's a tricky thing also in the world that we live in because I have found that if you blur the lines too much, oh, yeah. if it, well, if your friendship's not rooted in if, uh, professionalism, then either people will take advantage of you or make the attempt to take advantage of you, or they will um, they won't respect you. And a, a great example is I had to let someone go today from the film that I'm working on, and it's someone I'd worked with once before. Uh, we were I wouldn't say that we had a friendship, but we'd worked once together, and I'd recommended him for this film, and. It's just one of those things that had to occur. And, uh, you know, it was a very gracious conversation and no hard feelings. But it's those kind of things that are tough when I know that I ha might have to do those things to then form friendships because uh, those lines get blurred. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot to navigate now on set and, uh, and, and off, you know, for sure. I mean, that's what's nice about podcasts. <laughs> you could just, yeah. Exactly. Below the line is very... Uh, it's very small. So yeah, well, that's the great thing about it. When I started doing podcasts, this is I think my fourth one now. Um, I was trying to recapture that spirit of conversation between me and my friends. I thought it was fun. I thought people would find it fascinating, and I thought because I spend my career making other people's visions happen, right? It would be nice to do something that was sort of just for me and. Because there's not a lot of other alternative institutions to do that, uh, and certainly at my age, I'm in my 40s now, I, through the process of the podcast, and especially this one, I have been able to form connections with folks on a level that I might not have otherwise done, and I certainly wouldn't have been able to do at work, uh, by virtue of us having an hour, an hour and a half to just have a conversation. That's usually not a luxury on set, and it does replace that sort of state for for connection that is harder to find these days. And yeah. it, I think it's been replaced by social media, which is very lacking and unfulfilling. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the uh, I saw uh, a joke, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but something like it's 2022. Who would guess radio is going to be the, is the biggest, <laughs> biggest medium? But in a sense, it's, it's definitely the most intimate thing you can do. Because right. if somebody is going to take the time to listen, they're going to have to listen. You yeah. can't, you know, I even noticed myself, I was watching a movie with my wife the other night. It was kind of a dull movie. And I was glancing at my phone. She's like, what are you looking at? I go, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I, uh, I'm in the matrix. I'm just looking at this, you know. Yeah. But if you listen and you engage, you actually have to to listen. You know, there's no way you can fake through. So, uh, yeah, so I agree. There's something about this uh this medium, which is really exciting and just starting to get untapped. Yeah. It feels personal in a strange way. Well, even, is. even some of the, the true crime podcasts that are out that have really become really popular over the last few years, there still seems to be a sense of intimacy in the storytelling process. It feels like you're listening to, you know, your, your grandpa tell you a story or your, your talk, a friend telling you a story. And, and, Despite the fact that it's it's still just a, a an entertainment medium, no different in some regards to a TV show or a, a movie, there seems to be a level of intimacy that that most other mediums haven't replicated yet. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
I agree. And who would have who would have guessed? I mean, yeah, you know, again, it's just like radio, but <laughs> but it's it's a radio that at least I never really grew up with because even when I was kind of coming of age, it was gone. Yeah, by I mean, the night, gone, but yeah, it was, it was going on. The, yeah. It was going the way of the buffalo for sure. Yeah. Like, so, like, I still have profound memories. I mean, this is really going to date me, but um, <laughs> like, it's so hard to figure out someone's age uh, if you have a wiki page. But um, my parents had bought, uh, gotten me for my eighth birthday a transistor radio. Transistor mm-hmm. radio back then is about the size of a phone today, and it was a, a, a little radio you put to ear, or you had one clip. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was again the size of a smartphone, and I used they because I and I took it, and um, I used to put it under my pillow at night and then listen to Yankee games or music. <laughs> this is the late sixties, um, and one night I was you know I don't know what time it was, but it was when the eight year old should not be up, and I'm listening to this Yankee game, and they interrupt to talk about a doctor who's been killed. A Dr. Martin Luther King. I did not know who he was when I was that age. And it scared me very much, like terrified me. But I didn't want to wake, say anything because I thought my parents would get mad that I'm listening sure. to a, my yeah. transistor radio at night. And then I probably got a couple of hours sleep and woke up and heard my mom crying in the kitchen. And they explained to me, you know, who he was and what it was. And I told them. And I don't think I got in much trouble. But the power to um the power you know the way music was discovered back then when you the excitement when you heard something on you know the radio um and i think that is a big divide because i'm sure it wasn't this you know when you had as soon as everything became different and visual and you know mtv and then the internet obviously but um i think there's a that intimacy does part of it does seep back Mm -hmm. you know to today i mean even if people I have no idea. Yeah, I think that's why vinyl is coming back, right? I mean, people, it's not just my age. My daughter, who's in her 20s, loves vinyl, you know? And and maybe, you know, sound engineers would tell, no, there's no difference in sound, but you put that fucker on, am I allowed to say fucker? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Please do. (laughs) Um, you, You put that on and like, it just sounds, yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I think this this t- this ties into sort of this growing movement of alternative spirituality that people are seeking. In that, okay, I, I I'm I'm forty, almost forty one. M- my generation was more CDs, maybe mm. cassette tapes. I caught the tail end of, but but Dad had vinyl. Yep. Dad was a big music fan, and Dad kind of came of age in the in the seventies, so he was showing all those great classic rock bands. Yep. And so. There's that connection to that warmer sound, that vinyl, that, that hiss and pop. And maybe for a trained ear, it's not as good. I don't yeah. know. But to me, there's a level of comfort in it that everything that had came afterward just never had. You know, I remember the first CD I bought with my own money. It was Smashing Pumpkins' uh, Infinite Sadness, the double CD. I bought it mm-hmm. used at some uh, disco round or something. And it was the coolest thing, and I loved the art, and it was all it was fantastic, and I loved everything about that. But I would love to own that on vinyl. Yeah, it just has a different. There's, I think there are things, and maybe it's because I'm gracefully moving into yelling at cloud stage of my life. But there was 
I think a warmth that has been lost over the last 30 years in a lot of the things, ways that we consumed media, you know, listening to a radio and listening to a Yankees game, even, even fast forward, uh, you know, a couple of decades and it was, it was not uncommon to listen. I'm from South Texas. So listening to a Cowboys game on AM radio, Yeah, we've evolved a little bit, but now it's on AM radio. So, you know, that was, that was a common thing. If we happened to be driving or not at home, dad would put on the Cowboys game. I don't know that anyone does that now. I mean, maybe people would still do, but it seems like now you just go on the internet to watch clips or get tweet updates. And it's not the same as that, that voice of the Cowboys or that voice of the Yankees, that, that person who spoke for them, that, there was a familiarity with, and that there was a um, uh, there was a sense of of prestige because it was this person, you know, Vin Scully calling the Dodgers. It was, and and we have moved away from that in a lot of ways. Everything you mentioned, watching a movie and then looking at your phone. I don't know if you. I, I doubt that you went to a movie store to buy you know, rent a DVD because that doesn't exist anymore. No. Um, you may not have even put in a physical copy. It may have been straight off of a streaming site. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the ease in which we can do this, and I'm not knocking streaming sites cause I make a fantastic living making movies and series for streaming sites, but um, the ease in which we could just click and access removes some of the loyalty to whatever we're about to witness, watch, you know, consume, and um, when it comes to podcasting, I don't know that 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 ease exists. We don't. I mean, I know we, you could listen to podcasts on Spotify. You could listen to this podcast on Spotify, but it's it's not like you're making playlist of podcasts. And even if you did, they generally range from thirty minutes to two or three hours, and so it's not like a yeah. two three minute song. Yeah, They're just more, seems- it's more of an appointment, I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, we'll find out. I'm sure you're discovering. I mean, you have, you know, several which have been ongoing. I mean, for us, you know, I come from the TV, from the variety, you know, comedy, music, you know, world of television, mm-hmm. um, where the, the uh, process is, is, is somewhat similar in that, I mean, I come a lot of, a lot of, you know, I shot a lot of music and a lot of it was live sort of big event things, you know, so when it's live, there's a certain energy you go into. Mm-hmm. There's a certain relaxed energy in this, what we're doing now, but yeah. when you, you know, um, that's a stressful energy. This is a, you know, a relaxing, but it's the same kind of thing. Very different from obviously making a film. Yeah. Uh, I know because I've been trying to make my fucking feature now for nine years. So <laughs> luckily I have great day jobs, but I think with the, the podcast, I mean, they were, and they were, again, they were very different because with uh, the occult unveiled, it was really, let's set the table and really let Ashley do what she does. You know? Um, yeah. We, we kind of had a second hand be- just between us because, you know, creatively we're so uh, on the same page. The other one, Unsung, you know, which was directing voice actors, I had an absolute blast because right. there was no limit on my imagination. I was ever shooting, well, am I going to be able to shoot this? I'm going to be able to get an actor to say yes to, you know, doing. Uh, and so all these things just went out. I'm like, yeah, you're in the middle of the Arctic right now. I don't think there was actually <laughs> a scene where I had in the middle of the Arctic, but, you know, you can do that. And yeah. there's, a, and there's a sound effect. So uh, it's, uh, and uh, I mean, do you find, creatively 
this is something which was a, like a natural transition for you? No, no, not at all. Yeah, because I, for me, for me, number one, I grew up never liking my voice. So now I have to listen yeah. to my voice uh, and edit. Both. Yeah, edit my voice. voice. Your, your oh, voice is you. good. I can't. But, I, I thought I liked my voice. I, I, you know, I like my voice except when I hear my voice. So I had to do a a, a sizzle for my for my uh, feature. And mm-hmm. I was, first was a voiceover. And I couldn't like, that's how I sound. Then I put myself on camera. So I tagged in somebody else's shoot. Um, and I go, oh, that's how I look. That's how I sound, right? So it's <laughs> tough. But it's. Yeah, it, and it, it, you have to really grow past it, and and for for better or for worse, because I I don't do a lot of editorial to the to the audio, but in the beginning when I was still learning the tech, which is another aspect of it, um, I did much more. And I, in one of my very first podcasts, we used to put little uh, speaking of old serials, we put little sound effects and movie clips and things of that nature to just sort of spice it up. And I quickly realized I hated doing that it was so time consuming and um, never quite worked as well as I wanted it to work but I had to learn to listen to my voice I'd learn how to control my inflection and be okay with it and um, and then there was a technical aspect of it learning which audio programs to use learning which microphones to use um, I went through uh, uh, I think initially I had an old four track mixer and then that doesn't working and i try to zoom for a little while and that you know not the program zoom the old school zooms yep uh you know and then uh <laughs> no one knows what that is anymore uh and then and then uh, you know i've gone through the process with every podcast of getting more refined and streamlined because this is not my day job i have a day job and yeah. it's Wait. as you know it's very time consuming so it's taking a while to get to this point where i feel comfortable in what i'm doing and it's really quite fun for me and not stressful. So, but nobody knows what Zooms is because on iPhone, on smart devices, unless you go like that, like a Zoom lens, is that, wow. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> now, I will tell you one thing that did help is because I, I, um, I have a very rudimentary knowledge of editing. And um, one of my, when I was coming up the ranks, I worked in-house at a production company and I would have to do some Photoshop art for some of the releases we did. And I'd have to clip some of the trailers into the 30 and 15 second spots. And so I, I had a general understanding that did translate. And I, I still edit in Final Cut, my, my, the audio, uh, because I'm familiar with it. So there was some of that technical aspect did come over only because I had those years where I really had to learn how to do that stuff. And and when I first started as a filmmaker, I was hugely into Robert Rodriguez. And so his rubble without a crew was a big inspiration for me, but you know, it's its own, its own medium in a lot of ways. And it, it, you have to sort of grow into it uh, unless you're just one of those naturally gifted hosts. Yeah. Yeah. I I think like any, I mean, with hosting, it's one of the few, I would say is directing, I have a kind of an odd job because everybody in theory should do their job way better than I could do their job. I'm never <laughs> going to hold a steady cam as well as a steady cam operator. Yeah. I'm never going to do put out craft service as well as, you know, but it all sort of, you know, goes to a whole, it's, it's like, I would always say like, I, 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 I try to stay as technical enough so I can, I can confuse a network executive. It's any network <laughs> executive. So, um, uh, listening, it's it's the other ones, not you. You know, so just can say enough. And yeah. You don't really have to have a super deep understanding. Just like you know that thing, yeah. 
Yeah. It's that thing is going to get you there. And I think with, with, with hosting, with what you're doing, you do it very naturally. I mean, this is oh, like a you. very, and, uh, but I can see like, yeah, you, you can't really rely on that. It's. Yeah, it's, it's you. It's, it's you yeah, gotta, yeah. you have to stay focused and, um, you know, you, you learn all the, all the little tricks along the way and you make a lot of mistakes. And I always say to everyone, um, cause I have lots of friends who want to get into blogging or vlogging or, you know, TikToks and all that jazz. And I say, just start, start doing it. No one's going to yeah. listen to the first hundred episodes anyway. You know, yeah. um, you know, even the most famous podcasters in the world who have hundred million dollar deals on streaming platforms, you listen to some of their old stuff and it's garbage. It's yeah. worse than worse than this one will be by, and I'm just talking about quality, right? Just the technical quality, not even the content. Um, you, you just, you learn as you do it and you learn your audience and you learn what your comfort level is. And the very first podcast I did was a very left-leaning political, uh, podcast. And my, my friends whom I did it with, they're very smart, far smarter than me, uh, deep historian types. And, um, so to try to find my voice, I was like, I ended up finding myself being the comic relief. And it was fine, but I felt like I wasn't being me. I felt like I was being a an act. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever. It was what it was, and I learned from it. But what I realized from that was, okay, that's not my voice. That's an act, and I'm not that good at being an actor. So I got to find my voice and my way to speak and find topics that I'm passionate about so that I can continue a nice natural flow. So my next podcast was a film podcast, which I did for nearly 100 episodes. And so I decided I said what I had to say, and then, then it was time to move on from that. And with every progression, I think that things have gone a bit smoother, and I found my niche within everything. Um, but like any creative artistic endeavor, you just have to jump in feet first and and learn as you go, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's when you were saying that, I was uh, popped into my head is. Um all these guests we had on, on the, on the occult were so, so authentic, mm-hmm. you know, it was so obvious to me that they, way they lead their lives and their beliefs and practices and philosophies are just, are just so genuine. Just so like, yeah. you couldn't like, you know, and that's really, I think, such a rare trait right you know right. uh but yeah i mean i think that's a, that's it you know often the worst advice you ever tell an actor is you know be yourself that's the last <laughs> thing you would want but i think on, on this format you know without saying that to people yeah how do you get people to be themselves right you know because everyone's going to edit themselves to some degree Sure. Until you get them into this, where you're just you're just talking. Yeah, exactly. It's tough. I used to do longer preambles before hitting record, as well to kind of get people into that natural space of just forgetting that they're being recorded and forgetting about who's going to listen or interpret what they say, and just get comfortable speaking themselves. And one of the things that I find, um, well, uh, two things. Number one, I think. Part of why the guest, obviously I haven't heard it yet, but what you're saying, the guest seems so authentic. I think that's a testament to Ashley's ability to decipher which are the right kind of guests to have on the show. Um, 
picking folks who had a certain level of respectability, integrity, uh, a history of living the practice and not sort of wearing it as a trend. You know, we've all seen uh, the friend who was punk rock suddenly one day and then they were something else the next day. And so skirting around those types and finding the people who legitimately live their lives. But I also think that that speaks to the practices themselves. I found, I really started in earnest around the time of the pandemic. So last two, two and a half years. And um, some of it was just time. Cause again, as you know, in the film industry, it's the moment you're off the job, you're starting or looking for the next one. And uh, you oftentimes don't have the time to put those hours of practice in to learn, to take that two hours a day or an hour and a half a day and dedicate it to uh, a ritual or a meditation or things of that nature. But in the process of doing so, I found that I am more myself at 40, nearly 41 than I've ever been in my life. Because I, of because of the es- embracing of esoteric, uh... I I think so because what it teaches, or at least what I'll speak for myself, what it teach taught me, is to trust one's my own intuition, and to there's a there's a natural disconnection that occurs. Sometimes it's called the mundane. We'll call it the mainstream. There's a disconnection between the pursuits that the average person chases versus what is important to me. I will make money because I don't like the feeling of scarcity. But I don't dictate my life or my profession solely on money. Though thankfully I'm in a good position where that that intersection between passion and finances has come together in the best way. Um, I don't care anymore really about what anyone else thinks. In any regard, I'm not looking to be famous. I'm not looking to be popular. I'm not looking for acceptance. I'm, I'm really only concerned with being as authentically me as possible, and then allowing that to draw into my sort of gravitational pull those that fit me best, and those that don't, I'm I'm very quick to cut loose to go on their merry way, and I carry on on my path and. And a lot of these, you might have heard this in some of the interviews, but it's the, the term that gets used often is will. It's my will. And that gets misinterpreted terribly, terribly, terribly across. You mean Crowley's of, famous. Um, yes. Yeah, do it, yeah. And, it, yeah. and it predates Crowley, right? It, it, it goes all the way back to the um, uh, Hellfire Club, you know, that, that term of do what thy wilt. Um, but, I, but I think that it's a common theme of finding your true, authentic self, your universal pull your passion your desire the thing that is the most you and answering only to that yeah and and i think once you find that and i think that's hard to find in like normal stuff it's hard you can't find it at the mall the mall doesn't want you to be you the mall wants you to be someone else that's why you spend money social Um, media wants to be my god i mean that's that's the epitome of be this you know projection of what you think other people want to see yeah. to validate you. And it often has, you know, I mean, um, one of the things which is nice about growing up before this all mm-hmm. hit is I, I just, it's just brutal. It's just brutal to every moment you have to think about, you know, if I, you know, just go and get a bagel, do I need to take a picture? And if I do it myself, am I sending the right, you know, yeah, literal filter and, you know, uh, uh, metaphorical filter 
But I, I, I think what you're saying, so like the first guest, um, Michelle Belgenet, um, who described this, she was, so she was talking about growing up and she's, she was uh, on a tenure track um, at the university. And she said, you know, um, and we were, I think the conversation was about, you know, did you, how did you bring this up to people? This is going mm-hmm. back uh, a couple of decades. And she said, well, I was a six foot one intersex queer woman. Now I'm going to be a vampire. <laughs> you know, uh, good luck on getting tenure. But she said in a way like, but yeah, that's what I, you know, and I, that to me was just a great example of what you're saying, which for some reason, it seems the embrace of of this really, it pushes one to authenticity. I mean, it's, it's tricky. It, I mean, you can think of charlatans in anything. Sure. But, but, but this has a purity is probably the wrong word. Cause I imagine the word purity probably is goes against quite a bit of a, not really actually. I mean, well, I mean, it depends. Yeah, yeah. But like, uh, you know, in the, in the particular strain of magic that I practice, it is very much about purifying oneself. It's, it's, it's readying oneself. It's in Eastern philosophies, you would call it enlightenment, right? If you look, we most notably Buddhism, mm-hmm. um, but there is a stripping away of of the, the the shackles of desire for stuff that doesn't really matter, stuff that's going to turn to ash one day. You know, I'm a big uh, George Harrison fan. This, you know, all things must pass in this mm-hmm. world too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, again, there there are very few things that guide you in a direction of of that acceptance. So I I think that there is a purification. Whether people want to accept it or not, there's a lot of edge lords in the world of occult, of course, as you can imagine, right? A lot of people who never grew out of their hot topic phase, um, but but in it, for the folks I feel like who do it best, the folks who who put that time in consistently, they the ones who are you can always tell who's really dedicated to it because you'll see the benefits in their life. Now, whether or not you want to believe it's a higher divine power, or whether you just want to believe that it's a it's a it's a form of of self hypnosis and uh, re, re- affirmations and meditations and all these things have holistic abilities that aren't necessarily connected to a, a divine source. It doesn't really matter no, in the doesn't. end. It's the results. The results speak for themselves, and I do think that there is an element of stripping away everything that's not you yeah, and, and allowing yourself to only be you and answer to nothing else. And, and, and putting yourself in, in the present, you know, one of the really interesting things to me, and this is a bit of a, a tangent, but the notion of microdosing for medicinal purposes, mm-hmm. because had we not stopped, you know, when the LSD hysteria happened 50 years ago and research 60 years ago and research was stopped, um, but what it did, it allowed, it's when it, on its, to be in the present is a very difficult thing. It's almost mm-hmm. impossible at times with all the things we have. I mean, I know it myself, I'm making lists, I'm, you know, doing this, I'm yeah. staring at the screen. But I, I noticed during when people um, are meditating or people are doing some, you know, more extremes, the wrong word, but more esoteric, more, uh, less mainstream, let's say. Mm-hmm. You have to be in the present. You have to exist yeah. in that moment. And that is a wonderful place to be. I yeah. mean, for the eight minutes of morning, I know you had a, a, sh- a show about it recently, but the eight minutes of morning, I 
you meditate. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, it doesn't always, you know, some mornings I'm like in 80 other places, but right. sometimes it's like just swimming, you know, you're just like, you're just in the pocket. Yeah. And it's hard because the moment you realize you're present, you're not. Yeah, it's right, like the right. moment the realization occurs, it's like a, <clears throat> the moment I tell you not to think of a pink elephant, you've already you thought about it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you, finding those moments to rebalance yourself, I think are important. One of the things I do most mornings I'm filming right now, so it's a little tougher, but most mornings is I, I read a poem out loud and, and I generally read out loud anyways. Now I find that it holds my attention more and I, I've, I have trained my brain to skim read as I'm sure we all have. I'm sure you've read a billion scripts and you're like, you know, scrubbing through it. It, it counteracts that because I have to pronounce each word. I have to adhere to punctuation um, I, I'll know immediately if I've skimmed over something because the second I'm done with the sentence, I'll know, I, I don't remember what I just said. And then I've got to go back and reread that. But that I find centers me. It's a form of meditation for me. Um, the other thing that I think is very beneficial about all these practices beyond the meditative state is that it, it reintroduces a form of enchantment into a world that has nearly stripped it all out or perversed it into the manner of it just being Harry Potter and Marvel films and CGI and shit like that. I'm not a vampire, but I can imagine someone wanting to live one foot in a world of mysticism and romanticism and late nights strolling through New Orleans streets and fog and all the stuff that we spend millions of dollars to recreate in movies. Mm-hmm wanting to introduce that into your life and the amount of um, dedication and perseverance it must have, you must have to say to the world, this is the lifestyle I'm living because you're automatically going to be judged by that. Yeah. And, and so by nature of that enchantment that you're reintroducing, most people are not going to understand. I'll give a great story. Uh, I was, I was previously married and when we got divorced, I kept the apartment and I had gone to this exhibit, uh, that was Gilmo de Toro's exhibit here at the LACMA in Los Angeles. And he had in the exhibit, what he calls his rain room. It's where he writes and it's in his mansion and it's a room that has rear projection and it sounds like a rainstorm 24 hours. So anytime he feels inspiration, he can go into the rain room. He sits and writes and it's like he's writing amidst a thunderstorm. I thought, what a cool idea. How can I recreate this on my budget? So what I bought were these little um, the little lamps, the, the basically china balls with cotton on them to look like clouds. And I hung a bunch of those up on the ceilings, and I put some of those LED lights in there that have, uh, you know, turn them blue. And then I used my uh, uh, Alexa to play a rainstorm. And when I would come home after a day on set, I would turn all this stuff on, and I would sit and I'd either read or I'd breathe or whatever. And I just got brought down to earth, just dispelled a lot of the tension I was carrying from the day. Yeah. One day my ex-wife comes to drop off something that got delivered or pick something up that got delivered to the apartment. And she walks inside and she looks up and she's like, this place certainly is you now. Mm. And it was. Now, to her, who is a very pragmatic person, it must have been the gaudiest thing in the world to her. It was so childish probably and silly and just, but for me, because there's a deeper 
thought behind it, which is that a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of enchantment can help dispel the heaviness that the world places on you. Um, And I think that's a good thing. And I think that more folks are going to find themselves needing to embrace some version of it. And we see it. I mean, grown men and women who, who fanboy and girl over Marvel films uh, is, is a, is a, in my opinion, is a version of this. They, they remember comic books as a kid and now they're in their middle, their middle age. And there's, Mm -hmm. they're acting in the same manner that they did when they were nine, because it reminds them of a simpler time. Because I think that this world that we've built just isn't satisfying folks. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think there's a, a really exciting generation. I know millennials and Gen Z are just scorned. But I actually <laughs> think they, uh, I mean, again, generalizing on a generation is probably not that scientific, but I see great uh, thought processing, which could go a really good way. could go a really bad way, but I think it could go a really good way. And I think this is, this is part of it. And I hope, you know, what you're doing, uh, hopefully with the occult unveiled, you know, we just get, you know, let's, let's contribute to that. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, again, it's not, nobody's trying to proselytize anyone, you know, just listen to some really fascinating stories with fascinating people. Right. And, and no matter whether you subscribe after listening to it, or you just think it's a nice tale to listen to for the length of the show, there's no downside to educating folks mm. about different perspectives, right? Diversity, lifts our culture up it it adds to it Um, yep and and i think also one of the things i'm really uh, excited about listening to the the new show the occult unveiled is it presents it and it and it moves it into more sound it sounds like at least into a more academic sphere um, without being stuffy but it it presents it without judgment as you stated earlier but also without the, the Hollywood-esque misconceptions. It, it doesn't try to make it super dark and edgy and gloom. And it, it just it is presenting it as though it was as normal as saying, here's my story as a Catholic. Here's my story as a Buddhist. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's fantastical things in it. There are stories people tell, which will hopefully have people, you know, on the edge of their seats if they're sitting. Um, but yeah, it, it is that. It's, it's, it's very... Um, it's filterless, I guess. Yeah. You know, so, and it, um, just, so premiere is March one mm-hmm. on, uh, wherever you get your podcast. And I wanted to, uh, invite you and anybody who might be, uh, interested, um, on March uh, 2nd at nine o'clock Eastern, um, we're going to have a live, um, stream and, uh, can't remember the name of the service stream again. <laughs> well, I, but it'll be, uh, but I'll, if I could, you know, send it to you obviously. And yeah, um, for sure. and Ashley is going to do a ritual, right? A live ritual, which, um, about a growth and a rebirth sort of tying into the notion of the, uh, spring, uh, equinox, but, mm-hmm. uh, with her unique spin on it. And we're going to, uh, hopefully uh, it's going to be an open, uh, you know, forum people come on and obviously watch and, uh, and post and we're um, going to reach out and hopefully get season one's guest on. So that would be amazing. We would love if you could, you know, could, uh, could come by and, 
you know, swing by. But uh, yeah, so uh, we, we're really excited, and um, you know, we'll just we'll see. But well, I I think just based on what I've heard already, that people are going to really gravitate towards it. I think that the occult space and and esoteric practices need um, or have been longing for a platform that is presented normalized, um, sort of free of the stigmas that yeah. generally surround it. And if very if if nothing else, it will hopefully normalize folks' lives so that there's at least a more appreciation and a more um, understanding about different ways that people live. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. So um... now, beyond a quote unveiled, are there any further plans for podcasts? I know you're launching two of them. Yeah. So we have we have this other one uh, premiering March 15th called Unsung, which is a. Uh, a six-episode arc um, about a bass player who no longer can be on the road and uh, has to live with his three older children in Staten Island. So it sounds like a horror film. It's not. It's a comedy. <laughs> um, a comedy with heart. Um, and uh, we've been circling several creators um, about doing some more, you know, trying mm-hmm. to figure out the logistics um, of this medium and the finances of this medium, but we're, we're excited about a couple other people. We are, um, you know, definitely going to do more cult unveiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to try to expand, um, not expand because we want to keep in the community and keep having people to tell their stories. Cause that's going to always be the core of the show, but we want to have, uh, people from Hollywood who, you know, do what you do and do what others do who write about this, mm-hmm. but from outside, um, you know, a journalist who cover it, artists and so forth, um, you know, more mainstream, quote unquote, mainstream people who practice an element of, you know, esoteric um, beliefs. So, yeah, I mean, all, all the above and, you know, keeping my day directing jobs, which I'm happy and very lucky to have and um, getting my film together. So, yeah. To- it sounds exciting, and honestly, look in the in the new sort of era of media, there are, it's so easy to spin a lot of plates and working within different mediums, the medium of podcasting, traditional film, um, you know, docu series, documentaries. I mean, there's so much that can be done now, and it can be done at a far more controllable price point than would have been the case even twenty years ago. Yeah, oh, for sure, even ten, even ten years ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy how much the technology has advanced. And for those who are crafty enough to use it in the right ways, being able to put new perspectives out in the world. And there's such a need for content uh, that I don't see ending anytime soon that it always offers the opportunity for new creative vantage points to be presented. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look what you're doing. I mean, yeah, just, I mean, I'm sure people listening know that, but I mean, you're, Photography is amazing. You do these podcasts, line producing film. Yeah. I almost think we have to nowadays. I almost think we're all descendants from like, you know, vaudeville people who went town to town and were kind of, you know, you know, until they were said, go away, you know, like the, the, I I think that's, you know, one of the things, (laughs) the creative community where, where we're very, uh, uh, we're very insecure, so we need that <laughs> constant affirmation. Although we pretend not to need any affirmation, so right, right. Well, it's it's funny too because it's such a hard 
acceptance to call oneself an artist. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't cool. Certainly where I grew up, it wasn't cool to be artistic or be in any sort of fine arts, um, even though I've been sort of a part of it. At an early age, I grew up kind of – the town I'm from is sort of a rough town, and mom was pretty uh, convicted in keeping me from being a gangbanger. So she put me in orchestra at an early age, and I you know, was always around that kind of stuff, creative writing and uh, playing violin and later bass, ironically – used to be i am also now too old to tour bass playing um but but once you sort of accept that lifestyle and i i remember when i was in my late teens maybe early 20s i read a book on andy warhol's silver factory and i thought how cool that was to have this collective of just various artists painters filmmakers musicians spoken word visual artists and they're just all collaborating yeah and i thought what could be better than that yeah and I, I have been very fortunate that the path has been made for me to be able to do that kind of solely. I have, you know, I haven't had a day job in, I don't know, 10, 11 years. And uh, I've been able to do it all strictly through film. And then from that, grow to do photography, do writing, do podcasts and whatever new idea I get in my head and that I lack, you know, I surrender sleep to mm -hmm. endeavor um it's fun it's yeah, fun and absolutely. it makes life uh worth living and and ex far more exciting than the average bloke who seems stressed about bills all the time yeah i i it's, um i pinch myself i don't pinch myself i hate that phrase i <laughs> surprise myself when i historically reflect on my uh career in life like oh i got to do that i got to do that i still get to do this yeah it's pretty cool Pretty fun. We could all be working at a bank. We could so, be. Yeah. Thank your lucky stars. And, well, Michael. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was just gonna. I was just gonna uh, uh, say. But if you do work in a bank, you're fine too. Everyone's yes, of course. <laughs> yes, there's nothing wrong with hard, good hard work uh, of any profession. Um, but Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really loved your perspective on not only the occult unveiled that comes out March first. Uh, March first, or wherever you yep. get your podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about what F Street Productions do, um, other podcasts that you produce, any projects beyond podcasting that you produce. I think um, if you stay in the world of esotericism or just general art artistry, I think that it's 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 very unmined, and there's a lot to be done there and to show the world and to reintroduce some en enchantment into it because I think we solely need it. Yeah, between social media and the news and politics and viruses and and division and tribalism and all that other stuff, it's nice to 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 realize that there's a a beautiful sunset every day. Yeah, and uh, you know flowers and trees and not not to go too hippie, but that kind of stuff it does matter. Oh, man, and, when the other so all the other stuff doesn't work, you know, you got to at some point. Yeah, Bowie Wednesday, turn yourself and face face me him. So, yeah. yeah. No, this was fun. I really appreciate you having me on. It's really good uh, talking to you. Well, pleasure's all mine. And uh, maybe down the down the line, we can when the next project comes along, we can do it again. I'd, lo I'd love that. I'd be honored. All Thanks, right. Mike. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Take care. I want to thank Michael again for his appearance on the show and pulling the curtain back, as it were, for some insights into the new upcoming podcast, The Occult Unveiled with Ashley Ryan. I'm legitimately excited for that podcast. I'm really interested to see some of the conversations that she has and some of the insights that her various guests will provide. I'm a big believer that 
through conversation, through dialogue, we can not only share ideas, but we can share an energy of sorts. And not necessarily to get into like woo-woo territory, but just simply the feeling that one gets when you've engaged in a meaningful and good faith conversation with someone where at, at times your questions are answered, at other times your your preconceived notions are challenged, but at the end of it, you always come out feeling enriched in some manner. And that's really the magic of conversation and dialogue. And that's why I have done now four podcasts, because it's in doing these podcasts that I am able to find not only a different perspective to something that I could not have achieved on my own, but I get to meet and know people on a more intimate level than the standard social media provides us. An hour to an hour and a half of conversating with someone, even if it's through an app like, you know, uh, that I use, Zencaster, for recording, even if it's through some sort of digital component, the ability to have a back and forth without interruptions, without the dynamics of without the filter of social media provides a level of engagement that we so often do not get in our day-to-day lives we touched on it briefly how one of the reasons why people are sort of being drawn into alternative spirituality is because many of the institutions and mechanisms by which we are supposed to bond and create fellowship have withered away In this capitalistic society that we're living in, we are pushed to further atomization, isolation, individuality. But our species is built on community and it always has been. So when you see people's discontent, when you see people's feeling lost, the existential crises that so many people are feeling, the rates of depression, the rates of mental illness, all these things can at very least be helped if not remedied by a stronger community bonds. And the best way to form those bonds is by old-fashioned face-to-face conversation. Breaking bread, having a coffee, shooting the shit, talking, riding shotgun with your mate, and just pondering the world. Those are the the, the strongest bonds that I have with my friends were built on that very foundation And so I want to thank Michael for spending an hour with me and forming a bond there. And I want to thank him for also bringing this new show, The Occult Unveiled, to light. I will be uh, promoting the show and, and supporting it in the same way that Ashley has supported my endeavors and that you all continue to support this show. So once again, please keep an eye out for The Occult Unveiled, hosted by Ashley Ryan, a.k.a. Pythian Priestess, premiering on March 1st, where all podcasts can be found. And as Michael indicated at the end of the podcast, she'll be doing a live ritual for anyone interested. I believe it's on the day that the podcast comes out. So whenever the information about the live ritual is uh, fully formulated, I will make sure to share it. If you're interested in following more information, follow me on Twitter, Dave Oscuro, at Dave Oscuro. I don't really use much other social media these days anymore, certainly less and less every given uh, with every passing day. But you can still find me on Twitter and please support Ashley in the same way that you have supported me. So thank you all for that support. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. Don't forget The Occult Unveiled, March 1st with Ashley Ryan. And until next time, gold rings on you all.